Hey, uh, welcome everybody to a podcast all about the culture of horticulture. Uh, my name is uh, Alexis and I am a horticulture extension agent and I've got some other plant lovers with me today and so I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Good morning. I'm Brett and I work in uh, marketing for horticulture crops and some other stuff in local foods and sustainable agriculture. This is Josh and I work with the Center for Crop Diversification. And this is Ray. I'm a field agent here in the central part of Kentucky. And we are here uh, podcasting from Kentucky where it is a nice stormy day. And I think all of us are feeling the effects of uh, just the Kentucky crud. I know I am. Uh, got some weird, weird things happening up in the sinus cavity. Uh, how are you guys feeling? Better. I just had that last week, so it, it's been a little tough, but it's the time of year. It must be. Yeah, I was woken this morning, as Garth Brooks would say, the thunder rolls and the lightning strikes. My my love has not yet grown cold, but uh, otherwise it was a nice, exciting way to start the morning. Yeah, uh, what do they call this, an active weather day? I was getting lots of phone calls uh, because here, I know this week, it's been unseasonably warm. Yesterday was 72 degrees here, mm. at least in this part of the state. And, you know, it's amazing how we start to get phone calls from uh, homeowners and producers. I mean, number one, it's the time of year, but number two, it's it's February and we have a nice day and it sort of activates all the gardeners, both Pseudo commercial spring. and consumer. Yeah. Emerging yeah. from my seasonal depression, clicking my heels. <laughs> Not so yeah, we sad love these longer anymore. Days. Love the longer days. <laughs> Which, what are we talking uh, about today, Alexis? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we thought, like Ray said, we're starting to get some of these phone calls, starting to have these people come out that's warm. They're starting to think about what they're doing. And uh, one thing that we've really noticed uh, is a lot of people are new to Kentucky, moving to Kentucky, or are moving back uh, to the farm. And so we're getting a lot of questions on. I bought a farm now. What do I do with it? Um, you know, whether it's something really small, because as we know, horticulture crops, you know, you can grow an acre of vegetables is a lot of freaking vegetables. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, or, you know, they're doing some larger scale stuff. And so we just kind of wanted to talk about when, you know, you're coming in and you're like, I bought a farm now. What do I do? Right. Yeah. That's a common question. A lot of us get, I know probably, uh, uh, both on campus and off campus, uh, we all in our system probably get these questions. And it's an exciting question, but it's one that's sort of open-ended because then I, when I get a question like that in the field, I immediately go into investigative mode. I don't know about you guys, but when I get a question like that, there's all these gears that start turning in my head and all of these questions start to form on what I need to ask to find out more. Yeah, I wonder too if it if it comes in part out of the pop cultural projection or idea that farming and going back to farming and having a small farm is this romantic thing that Cottage maybe is core. the premise for a Hallmark movie or something like that. Oh, sure, that, so, that absolutely has to be part of it. And I, <laughs> and I think COVID was no part, no small part of it when we were all at home. I don't know about you all, but I saw a real resurgence and in interest. I mean, the interest has always been there for home gardeners, but even on the commercial side, there was this interest since, I don't know if it's people had more disposable time uh, and they were just at home more, but more interest overall. So it seems like we had a spike the last three years in, um, you know, folks that have questions like this, they had just purchased or 
uh, somehow gotten their hands on a piece of land and they either wanted to do personal food production or they wanted to maybe do the next level up, a market garden, or even that aspirations to go to that next level, uh, full-blown commercial operations. But yeah, I've been getting more of those questions here lately. Uh, mm. Fun questions, great questions, and it leads to great conversations. See, see if you'll agree with me on this. I think I would say the best time to think about what you're going to do with the 10 acres that you bought is before you bought them and when you're selecting where you're buying them and what they look like. But if you're in the position now of having bought 10 acres, we, we want to talk about some of the things that you might think about as well. But if you're just in that process of thinking about it and considering it, you're ahead of the curve and you're might maybe able to make some, going to be able to make some good decisions about uh, where you're, again, where you're buying, checking out the soil type, checking out the topography, all that kind of fun stuff, as well as thinking about what would be a fun thing to grow or, or do with that land, right? Yeah, would you all agree with that? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. I, uh, when we bought our farm, I was like, it's per a soil test. Like I, I had that in my contract. Awesome. I have to get a good soil test and respond. But yeah, I mean, and it has to be about what excites you. Cause just going back to what you said, Brett, like it's not, there's a thought process there of it's, you know, you're going to be, I don't know if you're, if you're a woman or if you're not, you know, whatever you're into is just like running around in your cute apron and your sun hat and feeding the chickens and stuff. And while, you know, some days it occasionally, very occasionally can be like that. Um, a lot of the times it's carrying water in, you know, two feet of snow and uphill both ways. you hit on something there, Alexis, and it always catches my attention when I'm listening to people, but you said it. It's like whatever kind of floats your boat or wherever your passion mm-hmm. lies. What excites you. And it seems like as an investigator, as we're trying to investigate and how we can best help people uh, in achieving their goals is realizing what exactly their goals are, what are their passions, what what motivation have led them to the point of wanting to let we're for the purposes of the conversation today, maybe assuming a newer producer, but what has led them to that point? And that's an interesting story in itself. And like Brett said, um, you, you, uh, if, if they've already acquired land or have land of some sort, um, you know, you have to ask, well, have you checked into the capabilities of the land? Or even before you ask that, you, like Alexa said, kind of what floats your boat, what, what gets you excited? Uh, what are, what's your knowledge and skills and, 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 and why are you doing this? And I'll, I'll just <laughs> add to, to rain a little bit on the parade and, uh, dampen those sun hats and pretty aprons with some marketing That's and economic considerations. But if your if your passion includes making some money off this thing, then that's something you're going to need to be thinking about from the get-go because uh, um, if you if you're really passionate about growing uh, heirloom decorative cucumbers uh, and there's nobody who wants to buy those things, if you're passionate about it, then grow all the cucumber decorative cucumbers you want to grow. But <laughs> if you're passionate and wanting to make some money off of it, that's also just a consideration. It's a consideration with where you're buying the land, where you're where you're going to sell it, how you're going to sell it, and also your skill set and your interest in even doing any of that selling stuff. So. I just wanted to kill a little bit of the buzz. You guys were getting a little too excited about plants. Well, I, yeah. I heard uh, <laughs> it rains like in my brain a lot is I've heard somebody say, do you have a hobby or do you have a business? Mm. And if you are – and it's mm. okay to have bo- one or the yeah. other. It's okay to have both. And so if you're not making money off of what you're doing, you have a hobby. And that's fine Like if that's what you want to do. But if you want it to yeah, be that's a business, absolutely fine, yeah. then you have to make money off of it. And so thinking about mm. what excites you keeps you motivated in those hard times. Times 
business. Um, but you also need to be thinking about, you know, market, uh, where, who you're going to sell to, what's your ideal market. Do you like dealing with people like at a farmer's market or are people really annoying to you and you want to sell wholesale because I get <laughs> it. Um, and then like kind of some resources that are available to you, uh, equipment, mm-hmm. time, do you have, you know, some money coming in from, you know, your favorite? So uncle? many topics, so <laughs> many topics. And you guys have hit on something that's a big deal for me. I've worked, um, you know, in extension, both as an ag and natural resources agent for several years and then went specifically uh, more specialized into horticulture. And I noticed that on the ag and natural resources side, when I was talking about row crops and cattle, there is indeed marketing strategies and efforts that go into that. However, um, there are established market channels in the state for those things. But I've often noticed in horticulture, there's a significant difference. Um, You guys mentioned two things, production and marketing. In horticulture, a lot of times, especially if you're smaller or you're doing direct marketing, such as through a community-supported ag or CSA, something like that, you have to create your own market. And that's a big difference that cannot be understated because I think that's a great place to start, Brett is uh, that if you are indeed wanting to make money, and that's one of my early questions is, well, have you talked to anyone? Have What makes you think that you can sell, you know, this many eggplants or turnips or radishes or dahlias or whatever? Uh, there is a distinction, and I handle those two questions different. Production and marketing are two different things, especially in horticulture, where a lot of times you are your own marketer. Yeah, so I think in this commercial ag world, or sorry, commercial horticulture world, there are many avenues that we hope to explore over the coming weeks and months and years. But so if I could just, uh, if you aren't, if you all aren't aware, uh, Alexis and Ray deal with these questions directly. People come into them and asking them these questions and talk to them. So I'm just curious from your all's perspective, can you tell me what that conversation looks like? How do you start that conversation with someone when they come and ask you that, like in a real basic to uh, like Denzel Washington in Philadelphia, explain it to me. Like I'm a five-year-old. Uh, <laughs> how do you, how do you have that conversation? What are the, some of the first things you do? So for me, like, and we've kind of already hit on it and I won't, you know, go too far into it, but the first one is why do you want to farm? And, and from that you can pick out, do you want a hobby? Do you just want to provide for your family and homestead or uh-huh. do you want to have a business? Then if we go that business route, which I think is mostly what we are focusing on, like, you know, through this podcast is kind of that business route. Um, you know, again, talking about crops that excite you and a lot of time they don't know. And so, you know, we talk about, I said, reach into what those resources are. So, you know, did you already buy a tractor? Do you need to buy a tractor? Uh, Are you going to be doing this full time or is this going to be something that you come home and work until dark after your full time job? Uh, So those are kind of the first questions I ask. What about you, Ray? Uh, Along those same lines, yes. Uh, I usually back up and it's sometimes surprising, especially if someone's completely new, but they have aspirations to farm and make some profit from that is I ask a lot of questions about their family, you know, how big is your family? How much time do you want to devote to this? Have you talked to your family about your plans? And I have straight up caused arguments in my <laughs> office between uh, couples um, uh, because maybe they haven't discussed as much as they should, how much time this is going to take. And I've just straight caused arguments before, but that's good. You have to be explicit about those things and and, and talk about that. Is it going to be something that, as Alexa said, are you going to do it after your other job? Or is it going to be something you're going to do as a part-time job? Uh, And if you have kids, how involved are they going to be? Or do you think they're going to be if they're teenagers? And if you talk to them about that, Um, 
uh, that's kind of where I start with the conversation is I kind of back up and this comes from sort of the family and consumer side over the years, as I've heard, you know, some of those folks talk about family goals and, and family time and family planning. I really start from there because I back up, especially if it's someone new and I ask about their family structure. And that kind of leads into what Alexis already alluded to is how much time you're willing to devote to it, because it's going to be, it's going to take time if you're in it to kind of win it and make a profit eventually. Yeah. Uh, Josh, we have, so through the the center for crop diversification that Josh mentioned earlier, we have this little doodad we call the biz quiz. And and Josh has actually been going through and seeing some of the trends and, and how people answer. And you can access that on the, the Center for Crop Diversification website. Josh, what is the what are the kind of main main variables that we look at in that? Uh, well, we uh, basically the question, you know, like Brett said, is there or it's there to answer that question of what should I do? Not really answer that question, but start guiding the conversation of what should I do? You know, now that I have some land or I'm considering acquiring some land, what horticultural crops might work for me. And it looks at or asks questions about uh, capital or access to, you know, what kind of access they have to money, as well as land and size, you know, over an acre, under an acre, that sort of thing, as well as their access to labor besides just themselves. Um, And through their answers to that question, it kind of comes up with, I believe there's eight different uh, kind of archetypes, you could say, that it gives recommendations on here's crops you might consider that fit well with what you've got going on. And here's crops you would probably want to avoid based on, you know, what your obstacles are. And that's yeah. essentially what it does. And it's been running for about four years now. It's a really great tool. And uh, I ran someone through that uh, recently. And and I know that that person had, uh, what was it? Uh, they had a uh, uh, limited access to land and they had a, a more of a limited access to capital and, mm-hmm. uh, and they were pretty risk averse. They didn't want to assume a lot of risk and I, and it spit out some options just to start them thinking things like sweet corn, I believe was one of the options. And, you know, I got to thinking about that and I was like, that's pretty good because it's taking a crop that's there's already pretty much a market for because that's a well-known product. And it seems like no matter if you have a couple of people already growing that, crop in the community there's always room for more fresh sweet corn and it's something that's intensive it's short season it's one season you can grow up one season on a smaller kind of piece of land and do really good with that if you do a good job and manage that and I thought that was pretty good uh, and they were well pleased and and so I love to re, uh, kind of refer people to that resource it's a great resource um, Brett I'm glad you brought that up Josh it's it's really good uh, it's a good jumping off point uh, Alexis, you've worked with uh, with cut flowers. To, if someone was interested in cut flowers, what would be things that they needed to do that? Or if they didn't have it, that would be difficult that you think if you were steering someone or they were they were thinking about that. Is it, I think no, there's that, no labor involved in it, right? Yeah, no, no labor at all. It's <laughs> at all. a lot of sun Fully automated. Fully <laughs> automated. take care of all the labor. You, <laughs> you never, ever have to actually weed anything. Um, so it's great. No, that's complete sarcasm for the because you guys can't see my face right now. Uh, but yeah, so I think the thing with cuts, well, for any specialty crop, right, which is pretty much horticulture crops for the most part, is uh, you really got to think about your market uh, and you've got to really look at yourself and the way you want to market because I think a lot of people are interested in 
farming for because they like to be away from people. Maybe they're leaving a desk job or a place where they're communicating with people a lot um, and they want to just kind of be by themselves. Maybe they're a bit more introverted and that's very farming is very appealing to introverts, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, but like, you know, Ray was saying earlier, you've got to market yourself. So thinking about you know, are you going to do a roadside stand? Do you need to go to farmer's market? And if you're going to go to farmer's market, which one? And if you're doing something like a specialty cut flower or a very weird ornamental gourd, something that's not edible, especially, uh, you've got to find the right farmer's market or the right market because those are not... um, those are additional things. Those are extra money in your pocket type of uh, products versus, you know, at least I can eat an eggplant or eat a watermelon or sweet corn uh, and provide for my family or myself that way. Uh, but flowers, ornamental things are extra. So so thinking about do the people in your area, do the people you want to sell to have those extra funds to spend um, on, th- on your crop? Because why grow it if you can't sell it or – I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's something, Alexis, that's a, a great point. And, you know, being one of my positions that I held was in the eastern part of the state, had a lower density of population. Uh, we were farther away from a population center, whereas my current location where I work out of, which is county-based, we're within 30 minutes from large populations, over 300,000. And Alexis, uh, I think cut flowers are a great case study. Um <laughs> Did that play into kind of your mind? Was that a consideration like geographically where you were located? Like, I'm very curious about the cut flowers because I'm sure that market was not established. Like sweet corn might be established. I mean, there were, there were already people doing that within the central part of the state, I'm sure, but not a lot of them. So it's kind of a new thing. So how did you decide, like, I mean, on a crop like that, that's interesting to me. Sure. So I, I would think you will find any, um, I don't have numbers to back this up at the moment, but uh, I would confidently say that any ornamental type thing, again, if you're going back to gourds, cut flowers, cut flowers I'm familiar with, so we'll go with that one, uh, are going to be within probably an hour of a major place uh, because that's where any market you want to do. So if you're going to sell to a wholesaler, they're going to be in a major metropolis area because they're going to sell to florists. If you're going to sell to the florist, again, they're going to be where the people are. Farmer's market's the same way. Um it can be difficult. There is a big push in cut flowers for the agritourism side. And I think that's growing. You know, you got strawberries, you got your mums, you got uh, sunflower fields, all kinds of stuff. But there's like a you pick. So I think even then you need to be within – people are not going to drive more than an hour to come pick flowers or to pick strawberries or something. Uh, so if you're doing a specialty crop that's expensive, you've got to be where the people are. Uh and sometimes that's not great when you're doing your soil tests and you're like, oh, there is rock 24, like 12 inches below the surface. And it's not ideal to grow stuff in. Um, but, you know, it is possible. And I think we have a, enough areas, at least in the state of Kentucky, we've got kind of these hubs, right? Like if you look uh, northern Kentucky, there's one, you know, we've got Louisville, Bowling Green. We've kind of got these hubs popping up. And if you look at CCD as that cut flower map, uh, and if you look, they're really centralized kind of around those big hubs um, because that's, you got to drive to them. That's one of those things I think where if you, 
if you're in the process of considering buying a farm, you have a leg up on this because Mm -hmm. proximity to markets is one of the things that sometimes people tend to overlook, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, and, or they just kind of assume that there's going to be a market to back to what you're saying, Ray, there, there's not a, there's not a tomato elevator, like there's a grain elevator, uh, available in the state. And so considering where your markets are, because not only, um, will it determine whether or not you are going to feel like, or be a, be able to afford driving to get access to a market, but there's also different types of markets and we tend to Absolutely. see different types of prices, different kinds of demand for different products in those places. And shockingly, just like in, if you live in a city, all the places where that are really cool are more expensive. And then you move further out or you move to other areas and it's less expensive. It's the same way with a lot of land prices mm-hmm. with proximity to markets because people want to live closer to cities and they, maybe they do want to live closer to places where they're going to market and they'll be able to sell. So in, in our example of, of Kentucky, I tell the, I tell this, this is several years ago now, but on a given Saturday in the fall, we do some price reporting uh, apples in the South central part, fairly rural part of the state were selling for 89 cents a pound. In Lexington, which is central Kentucky, second largest city in the state, they were selling for $2 a pound. And in Louisville, the largest city in the state, they were selling for $3 a pound. These are just kind of generic apples locally grown at farmers and being sold at farmers markets. And there was that variability in price. But there's all kinds of things to consider because if your rent is three times, or your rent or your your mortgage is three times as much, well, you're going to have to factor that into the things that you're Or your vendor fees. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That it's a whole avenue of, of weighing those yeah. costs. And so hopefully as people are listening and they maybe get frustrated when they ask someone, I have 10 acres and they want an easy answer for what they should do. Hopefully you're getting a little insight into the little hamster wheels that are spinning inside of all of our heads when we try to answer that in a pithy way because it really can be uh fairly involved. You know, it doesn't have to be complicated, but it does have a lot of moving parts. Marketing uh, is one thing. I mean, it's a huge piece of the puzzle, access to uh, population. I know we used to go into, you know, three different states and every, it seems like everything was two hours to get to a population center. And that just added, you know, when we were personally producing um, years and years ago, is it just took time and resources to truck crops and get them on location. And we just had to add that in as a sort of a variable cost. But there, there's another piece to this. I mean, the podcast is Hort Culture. And uh, there's a big cultural piece to this um, aspect of farming. And by that, I'll kind of relate my personal situation that I kind of was just talking about years ago. We were in an area in the eastern foothills, and there were not as many farms of the type that we had. There was not as many farms in the area. And we were we always felt like we were somewhat isolated. Not only that, um, I mean, there was farm meetings going on for cattle, and at that time, there was tobacco in the state. But there wasn't a lot of farms around us, so we didn't have this kind of safety net of people we could borrow equipment from. So this there was this whole cultural aspect, and that's something I like to discuss with people too, just so that they consider that. Uh, but not only that, but you guys have something that always reminds me of this. Um, 
it's uh, the 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 geo map of where you can purchase supplies for horticulture in the state, and I refer to that all the time. And Brett and Brett or Josh, maybe you guys can give us some more information on that. But that's a big deal. Where do you buy your supplies? Where does Alexis get supplies for cut flowers? And, and that is always in my mind because before shipping became cheaper, we used to have to drive to Lexington to get supplies, which was two and a half hours away when something broke. And that's part of the cultural aspect of farming. That's a big deal to me. It left a big mark on me at a young age. Uh, now, the area that I'm in now, there's many, many more farms. It's predominant farming community. And that's a wonderful safety net. I love that farming culture. But not everybody is uh, as lucky to have that. But uh, that map, uh, who does that? Uh, Brett or Josh? Uh, that would be me. I mean, yeah, uh, I thought, I lots thought so. of people kind of collect the data and send it my way. Uh, I just love that. It's great. It's a great it resource. Something people can interact with. <laughs> yeah. What all is and, listed on there, Josh? Ray mentioned the horticulture suppliers. What else is on there? Uh, let me pull it up just to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. But um, the let's see. So it's horticulture suppliers. Currently, we're also listing. Um, Ag tourism sites, roadside stands. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Uh, the produce auctions, which also has links to their schedules, um, and, and all these things. You know, they list their kind of contact info associated with it, email address, website if they got one. Uh, but other resources we have on there are um, places that or sites that have registered with that Kentucky or the what is it the the CAKE program, I always forget what that stands for, but it's, you know, the shared equipment that's available in counties. We, we try to have an updated list of what equipment of, is available at those sites. Um, and yeah, let me make sure I'm not forgetting anything. I think there's about. Uh, there's so much information on that website. It's, it's awesome. It's really yeah. good. Uh, that's another uh, uh, site uh, link that I send to new producers, especially in horticulture, where sometimes it can be a little bit harder to track down like a supplier for coverings for hoop houses or low tunnel mm. you know, places. So that's why I really enjoy that, that site. Well, it's a good one. The two that I forgot, it's got the farmer's markets listed on there and also uh, water testing labs for the, the ag water kind of compliance for people that are. Oh, I forgot about uh, that one. You know, awesome. Needing yeah, that's to. A- test their water. That's a good thought. If you, uh, that's something that I think a lot of people don't think about is like, how are, especially if you're growing food, how are you going to wash your product or not wash your product? And do you need to wash your product? And there's a whole system there about, um, about that. So when you, when you think about it, when you start doing your research on crops or markets, uh, there's, there's a lot more to it than just growing it. It's, it's all the cooling and all of that, uh, on the, on the post-harvest end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, there's just a, something that's kind of been mentioned, you know, about that, there's sort of this tension of, you know, if you haven't yet purchased your farm, uh, you know, and understandably people come to land in a lot of different ways might be inheritance. They might not have that kind of choice and where to go. Uh, but if you do, you know, you, there's a lot of things that are impacting you, your proximity to markets, or as Ray said, your proximity to sort of suppliers that you would need for certain products or, um, you know, to replace equipment. And those, that, that proximity to those places can influence kind of land values and, you know, who's around you, uh, what's around as far as the community goes. It's, there's a lot of things that, that weigh on that. And, uh, yeah, the, 
at least with the maps, we try to tell you where things are. <laughs> and not to uh, Debbie Down, if you've already bought land or have land and you're like, oh, crap, I'm that person who's two or three hours away from, <laughs> from some stuff, not a big deal. Uh, I mean, it's just reworking. You may not have as many options for what you grow or how you market, you know, but maybe you look into freezing things or um, doing wholesale options so that you're only traveling once a week uh, versus, right. you know, a couple times. So there are options. Uh. Nobody like panic. I'm like, I'm in the worst place ever. <laughs> uh, you're right. not. There are. And that's the beauty of it, of, of what there's so many ways people eat or people enjoy uh, hort- right. horticulture crops. Yeah. And there's a definite balance point. There's there's a pro and a con that if you're a farm and there's no other farms of your top really, really close to you, that's a pro and a con. It's like you want farms in the area, but you may not want necessarily 20 farms right next to you growing the very same thing. Um, you know, that, that, that can be a good and a bad thing, depending on how we discuss that. But right. uh, yeah, if you're located in an area and you have a unique product and you're the only one um, growing that unique product, you may be able to, in certain circumstances, command a higher price for that. Uh, but the flip side of that is if you're in an area and there's lots of vegetable farms, you have to take that into account also, because there may be five other farms that have the exact same product as you. And as Alexa said, you have to really take a hard look at your final, final product and kind of how you deal with that, how you package that. If you're growing blueberries, you're going to need cooler space or some kind of specialty equipment in a lot of these situations. And that's another unique aspect of, I think, uh, horticulture production is it involves lots of specialty equipment. It really does. And I say that having, you know, worked with cattle and tobacco and row crops. And then on the hort side, when it got into hort, we had a lot of smaller equipment in our case you want to have had a few acres of hort crops but uh, lots of different types of equipment um lots of hand tools yes uh (laughs) not toys they're tools every time i go to buy something new now just for home i get into trouble but yeah there's lots of really cool tools in um on in the hort biz too yeah absolutely and something you touched on a little earlier ray was this idea of this hort hort culture that's the name of the the podcast and uh, i think we want to acknowledge, uh, in addition to the idea of, the, of things being um, like a business or a hobby, I may add, may add a, th- a third or thir- third category or multiple third, fourth, fifth categories where growing stuff can serve a lot of different roles in people's lives. It can play a role of actual, not, not the kitschy, oh, this is therapy, but legitimate therapeutic purposes that we're seeing emerge from um, horticulture being involved in recovery for uh, domestic abuse survivors and for people who are coming from uh, or refugees from traumatic places, but also uh, in parts of the state where there aren't as many opportunities and they're struck by crisis, whether that be environmental crisis like the flooding in eastern Kentucky or the tornado in western Kentucky. Horticulture can play a really important role in in community level resiliency. It's where the idea that like food sharing is just such a normalized and important part. And none of those things hit the market in terms of dollar exchange. And so sometimes they're lost in translation or they're not really emphasized by people who want to see dollar impact. But those things are the lifeblood of some communities. And they're the entire reason that people have a big garden in their in their rural spaces. And so if that's you, if you're if you're out there, Alexis mentioned homesteading is kind of another variation on that similar theme. Um, the idea of 
increasing or even achieving self-sufficiency or, or family level self-sufficiency. It's also that, at that community level, community resilience and support and, and sufficiency. And so if that is you, there's a place for you here too, because the, the, the production side is going to be similar. You're going to want to produce plants that don't have a ton of disease issues and that are uh, harvestable and usable and all those things because you're just, just because you're not selling them to somebody doesn't mean that it's not worth something. Uh, and it's worth a lot actually. So I just wanted to to mention that real quick. Uh, we've been talking about marketing and I work a lot in marketing and it's mainly because people tell me they want to make money. And so that's what I'm trying to do is to help them do that. But if that's, if your, your goals are different, there's, I think there's a big place of part of horticulture and historically that was a bigger part of horticulture than ever selling fruits or vegetables was, uh, was kind of a growing things mm. for your own consumption at a local level and for your, for your neighbors and your community. So I those mean, are hard numbers to kind of capture too, Brett. That's a great point. And, you know, part of our job is from time to time we're called upon to say, well, what's the magnitude of production in your area? What impact is production in your area? So kind of going back to the victory garden model, it's really hard to capture uh, because it's a local food system. It's just that. It's a local food system and it has lots of different tiers with people doing lots of different things. And a lot of those, and, and I've worked with producers that uh, they're retired from jobs and their goal is, I uh, work with a couple, their goal is to produce every year food for food banks. And they do some really interesting things. They produce a lot of food, but is that ever captured on economic reports? No, probably not. At least not any that I know of, but that that's a great point because I mean, it's all part of the fabric kind of of local food systems and that, and that's a part of it. Yeah. And that's the profit of you, uh, uh, to you, uh, as a producer, if that, if it's accomplishing your objective, then it has value to you. That's your value, but it may not be in a strict economic sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody has either given or received, hopefully, if, if you haven't, Hit me up. I'll, I'll get with you. Um, a f- either fresh tomato uh, or some flowers that somebody grew. And it's just the look on their face, whether you're you know, doing this to sell money or to make to sell money. I wish. Uh, I wish I had so much I could sell it. <laughs> I'm going to sell you this dollar for $125. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Investing. Yeah. Um, that's how we do things. No, but it's the, the excitement and smile and the, what that – that feeling that brings back to the people receiving it. Brett is right. He's, he's, he's the heart here at the Hort culture podcast. I like Aww. to think, or I'm, I'm over here like make money. I'm going <laughs> to sell you this dollar bill. Okay. Uh, so now you know where we all stand. Um, one thing just to kind of, I guess, sort of wrap up whether or not you're, you are getting started or maybe you're just a couple years in, which I think this, again, this podcast is for you, whether you're getting started or you've been doing this a couple years, um, is don't necessarily expect to be doing the same thing in year three that you were in year one. Uh, maybe some of the same things, maybe you are, and you got it right the first time, but you know, farming is all about adjusting with the seasons, what went wrong, what went right. And you know, whether that's, I need to make sure, uh, you know, I'm doing some row cover on my cucumbers or I need to market better, whatever it is, you're probably going to be doing something different. And you're going to learn about yourself as that process, what you like to do, what you enjoy. Wow. I really hate picking zinnias because they really give me a rash on my arm. So I'm just not going to grow them anymore. And you might make those decisions, you know, based on your own personal, likes and dislikes as well as what sells and what doesn't sell. And and that's all a part of it. And don't be scared to change that up. Like you're allowed to make 
a choice to not do something, even if it is selling. If you really hate it, don't grow it. Like life's too short, right? And farming is too hard <laughs> to <laughs> to grow something you really don't like. There's a lot to to that getting that fit. And I see people that getting a fit that's right for you and your family. And I've wor- I've worked with people and they've been doing it pretty intensively for 10 years and they are still tweaking what they grow and assessing why they grow it. And is it and is that product meeting their needs? Uh, both their labor needs, family goals, all of that. It goes into it. It's one of those things that's a classic example of this conversation today is, well, it depends. You know, us in sociology that have a little bit of background in that, we love to say, well, it depends. Well, there's no right or wrong answers today. It's just does the end results accomplish what you want it to do? And if it personally works for you, now that's different on an economic level, uh, but uh, it's it's sort of broad today. And that's the nature of the topic that we're talking about. It's kind of, we'll, we'll narrow down. This is a great jumping point. I love this conversation. It's a great jumping off point for future podcasts. There's so much we could jump into so many different avenues here. So I'm just trying to think of like, what are, what are a couple of the key points we've covered today? So I think one is if you haven't bought yet, uh, location, location, location. Uh, is, uh-huh. is on the selection of the land, thinking about what's important to you and what your values are and what your goals are for this whole deal. Uh, I think another one is, and this is one that I come across a lot, is that th- don't assume that there are these markets for the things that you want to produce out there it's that you're, you're just going to tap into. Uh, in many cases, you're either going to have to completely create or help co-create your market for your products, even if you do have access to something like a farmer's Write market. Write a business plan, even <laughs> if it's on the back of an envelope. Do a little bit of thought there. Mm, yeah. And I think yeah, maintain an open mind, Lex, is kind of what to your point about the don't, don't expect to keep doing the same thing in year three, but also be open to the fact that maybe your initial idea during the ideas phase was a not great idea for you and you can change it and you can I, I tell people that we kill as many dreams or more dreams than we inspire by telling people don't do that because you may not make money doing that or you're, you know, it's going to be very difficult to grow that here. Um, and I think that that's a part of it too. Anybody else have any take homes for the. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've talked about, there's definitely a, a delineation between production and marketing. That's a big one to me just because it's uh, horticulture tends to be a bit more unique in that we just don't have a, we can't grow, you know, an acre of tomatoes, uh, in some cases, if you have a local co-op and you've done your homework and worked it out, you there might be a spot you could just take those and drop them off and then they're done. you're done. That's not typically the case from my experience, especially with my local producers I work daily with, is that they do create their markets. And it takes just as much time marketing as it does producing if you're doing a good job and you have a unique product that's going to be um, a high value product. It, whatever you, however many hours you plan on producing, plan that many hours on marketing in many cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, you know, the other ones we mentioned about your access to land, capital and labor, I think labor is an important one to consider just because what is attractive about farming is that, you know, in theory, you can kind of create your workday, right, by determining your production system and things like that. But you can also kind of create your own prison someplace you can never leave because there's too much to do Dairy and something to really think about. <laughs> and so, you know, to kind of Brett's point of sometimes we kill dreams. I think it's okay to kill a dream as long as you're preventing a nightmare. 
Ooh, profound. Wow. Wow, I like Don't that. burn the candle at both ends. I'm allowed to say that because I do that. <laughs> it is bad. Don't do that. My dad's motto used to be, he said, well, do it till you don't like it anymore. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. You're really, really selling this farming idea. There's some sustainability aspects here in hort culture that we're going to try and focus on. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so just wrapping this up. Any other last minute little, you got quick, you got 10 seconds. What you got? Anything? Nope. All right. Do it. Okay. Do it. Grow stuff. Guys. Growing Thank stuff you. is a good is a good thing. It's good for yeah. you. It's good for your for your the world around you. It can make you happy, but make sure it is making you happy. And go see yeah, your extension agent if you're in well, if you're anywhere in the United States. But if you're in Kentucky, you have one in your county, go see them. Okay. That's my plug. Uh anyway, <laughs> so uh we hope you stick around. We hope you come back and listen to all the cool things we're gonna talk about, production, marketing, all that jazz. Uh and we are Hort Culture, and we hope that as we grow this podcast, you grow with us, and we'll see you next time.